Hi, hello, welcome to No One Told Me, where hindsight is everything. I just sounded a little bit like a game show host. I really felt like I was Price is Right there for a second. My name is Callie, and I'm doing something we don't often do around here, and that's lean into a solo episode, mainly because I don't feel like you really push play to hear about my personal misgivings on any one topic. Community misgivings are actually way more popular, which is really what prompted this particular topic we're going to cover today. I've, and I'm pretty sure you two have seen this pattern of community shaming. Either a group decides to vocally and aggressively tear down another group, or a person chooses to do the same thing, sometimes subtly, sometimes not so much. And we've all somehow decided that we'll just accept it as okay. And if it's not necessarily okay, instead of calling it out, we just X out of the box on our screen. Shame has shaped chunks of who I am personally. I think you're probably someone who has felt it too. Maybe it's kept you from looking in the mirror, from walking into a particular building. It could be you can't find a close connection because you feel the need to keep a piece of you hidden, or you fear applying for a job because of the questions that might be asked. What do you do with not only the shame you feel, but the shame you give? How do we start changing these patterns, doing something about the sharp scissors of judgment that are cutting their way through our everyday? This week is simply a setup to get your wheels turning, to get the conversation started internally and externally. How has shame shaped you? How is it shaping you? Are you using it inadvertently or not to shape something or someone around you? These are important questions to ask yourself. And I hope this episode helps you take a step toward answering them. Last week, I sat on the living room couch and I was thinking through this week's episode and I yelled into the kitchen, not really yelled because kitchen's not that far away. But anyways, Ryan was standing in the kitchen, my husband, and I said, Ryan, what is one thing that you would cancel immediately? And without skipping a beat, his response was Food City. Now, I really don't know why this is this is such a big thing to him lately. I mentioned it on a previous episode. I think it's more so I sent him in there one time to pick up some pull-ups and bread, and it took him probably 30 minutes because he was so disoriented because we don't often go to Food City. And now he acts like Food City had it planned all along that he was going to walk in and get lost and lose 30 minutes of his life. And he just hasn't really forgiven the entire chain, apparently, for this this uh, misconduct as he sees it. But I will say Food City has the best birthday cake. If you have not had a Food City, which is, I don't know if it's local just to Knoxville, it's a grocery store that is, which I don't know if you didn't pick that up from Food City, which if you really step back and look at the name, it just, it, it's very uh, creative. But anyways, best birthday cake by far. So they've got that going for them. But I asked the question to you all, because I love when you help me shape episodes. And here are some of your answers and my own personal opinions about a few things that I wish would be canceled. Warranty renewal reminders. All right, I don't need those in the mail and stop trying to make them look like bills I haven't paid. That is causing anxiety that I don't need. Belly shirts. Okay, I think it's probably because I'm in my 30s and I can't really wear belly shirts and there are some that they look incredible on. They do wear them all day long. Then there are some that I don't know. I just I feel like more of us need the other half of the shirt than don't. Let's just say it that way. All right, work clothes in general. Let's broaden it or any clothes that have buttons on them mainly pants that have buttons. Shirts, you're okay. 
Although I did try to put on the shirt that I wore for my high school senior pictures. I don't know why. It felt like the right thing to do. I put it on when we were moving. It also had buttons on it. And those buttons were not very forgiving to me. I thought for sure the shirt was going to fit. It didn't. And that just spun my whole day out of control, which leads to the next one that can be canceled. Calories. Right? I think we can all agree on this one. This one isn't even controversial. We don't need those. Chin acne. Thank you, mask. All right, mask, you're doing a lot of good things. You are. But my chin, you're not doing it any favors. How about the word unprecedented? How many times did we hear that over the past six months, seven months? How long have we been in this? I don't know. It's become a deep, dark hole. The soggy toast Zaxby's puts with your meal. Is it necessary? Who eats the toast? Do you eat the toast that Zaxby's puts in there? It's usually soggy. It just gets in my way. And it's really, really garlicky. Okay, I'm not trying to be fussy here, but I think it deserves to be canceled. And while I'm at it, cherries. Okay, don't put it on my ice cream anymore, Sonic. Don't put it on my milkshake. I know you can ask no cherries. I don't remember to do that. And then it's just in my way. And then I have to figure out what to do with it when I'm trying to not eat it. And one more, according to Ryan, the Scott's top episode of The Office, which is so specific, but it made him really uncomfortable, he said. So that's his feedback. Now, those those are all things we need to cancel. But people, entire institutions, well, now, I don't, I don't believe that is going to get us anywhere. And yet here we are telling people they're canceled, shouting from the rooftops, i.e. Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, that the thoughts, ideas, words, the very existence They're all canceled, maybe in the hopes of silencing them, maybe in the hopes of taking away power, maybe in the hopes of feeling more powerful. There's the thing about shame that I don't think we all pay attention to, but it's there. It's contagious. Most often when we have it, we want someone else to have it too. And we make ourselves not only the bearers of shame, but the givers. Shame has become a vehicle for change, a vehicle that actually isn't taking us anywhere. The feelings associated with shame have been proven to lead to depression and increased low self-esteem, damaging and even destructive behavior. A recent article I read said women are quicker to feel humiliated than men and adolescents feel shame more intensely than adults do. So if we take those findings a step further, it means that moms are navigating the very same emotion the children they're trying to parent are feeling. That it's complicated. It's overwhelming. I don't even really know how to get into that part of this topic. As I was writing this episode, I had to take a break about halfway through for the bedtime routine. You know the drill. No, you can't have more to drink. I'm sorry, you're hungry. You should have eaten dinner. You literally just peed five minutes ago. No, I don't know why penguins have wings but can't fly. And all the while, answering the questions, trying to get one step closer to one of them falling asleep laying next to Hagen, waiting for his breathing to steady and the rhythm of his snores to set in. I was thinking through examples of shame in my own life. I believe our shared experiences only become shared and thereby encouraging when we actually voice them. I want to lead the way in that, even if it makes me uncomfortable. And this topic makes me uncomfortable. I can easily be a person driven by guilt or shame. I'm personally taking the time to understand the difference between the two guilt, which I will also refer to as conviction, and then shame. How are they different? One is productive, the other isn't. One can lead to change, the other cannot. One says, I feel bad about what I did or didn't do. The other says, I feel bad about who I am or who I am not. 
Guilt says, do something. Shame says, hide. And as I laid there next to Hagen, I thought about how just a few weeks ago, I was ashamed to say I was sending Henley to school for the semester. This admission may seem insignificant to many, but to the moms I had conversations with, this decision weighed so heavily on our hearts. There was so much pressure on making a decision because in hindsight, there was a layer of fear involved, not just for the health of our kids, but for what people would think. If I sent her, I was afraid people would think I didn't care about her health or I wasn't concerned enough about the damage being done by this worldwide pandemic. If I kept her home, would she be missing out on the social and interactive skills she needed? I would genuinely hope no one asked me because I felt myself trying to defend and deflect a decision that I knew was best for Henley. And that opens up an even bigger issue that a few of you actually wrote in about mom shaming. I feel shame that I work as a mom. I feel shame if I don't work. I feel shame that my kids watch TV. I feel shame that we have to pick up food to go more nights a week than we probably should. This whole emotion, this shame, it's rooted in judgment. And the longer we look at others and judge their decisions by our standards, the longer we'll perpetuate this cycle of making others feel less when really we're all just doing our best. One of you said that you based everyone's kids' behavior off of your kids' behavior. So if someone else's kid was wild or out of control, you would just say, yeah, you need to get that under control out loud. You said that to a person. But then as the story went on, the same listener said that she had another kid and it just so happens that she can't get a hold of this kid. She can't control this one kid in particular. And in her words, God served her a nice warm slice of humble pie. That's just one of so many examples built around the shame that blooms in your stomach and works its way up to your heart. Like when your kid loses his ever loving mind in the cereal aisle after you say no to the lucky charms or when you use formula or when you nurse at the Chick-fil-A or when you have a C-section or decide your birth plan is simply drugs instead of natural birth. Mom shame is just a small piece of this whole puzzle. Now, before I lose the listeners who don't have kids, let's broaden the picture to really get the full view of the perhaps at times unseen or unrealized effects of shame in your life too. How about the scale you do or don't look at? Either way, for most people, the combination of numbers you see feels like something you should hide. What about the job you didn't get, the job you lost, your relationship status, the inner workings of your family, the lines you cross that you never thought you would? the lines you were forced to cross that you never wanted to. And it's not just about the shame you get. It's the shame you give. The look, the eyebrow raise, the statements that start with, I can't believe. Just because you may not like or agree with a thought someone has doesn't give anyone the clearance to belittle or discredit someone's entire existence. Making someone feel insignificant doesn't make your point more significant. A friend reminded me of this phrase, eat the meat, spit out the bones. She took it a step further and said, God takes what the enemy meant for evil and turns it for good. That's just a lyric from one of our favorite songs. And if you take that and apply it to a lot of what you see in the world, it can bring hope instead of adding your own negative thoughts to it. I do not want to be the person who serves as a barrier, an obstacle to the good that can come from loving someone well, even if I disagree with them. Shame is rooted in the pain of believing something is inherently wrong with us, making us unworthy and unvalued. 
Here's how so many of you described it playing out in your own life. Shame completely changed me, directing every thought and action. Someone else said, shame pushes me to stay in my sin. It's suffocating and creates a series of lies that I believe. Someone else wrote, I'm ashamed of my body. It always leads to anxiety and then fear and then regret. I stay away from people and I stay away from mirrors. For another listener, it drives her to overcompensate, making her feel like she has to prove her worth. One of you also wrote, my personal shame discounted Jesus's sacrifice, and I've been confronting it with counseling. So many more wrote about shame, making them silent in moments they should have spoken up, seeking approval for things they really don't want to do. And for even more, shame was tied to feelings of insecurity, negative self-talk, and complete disconnection from community. Now, right here, I want to stop and further the distinction between shame and guilt even more. Because I read so many responses that, like me, were confusing the two. Along the way, we've connected them, like one is the preemptor to the other. Guilt, or conviction, to go super churchy on you, surprisingly, that can be helpful. It's looking at something we have said or done, or not said or done, through the lens of truth. The lens shaped by our beliefs and values and feeling a sense of conviction, which is just a way of saying a sense of feeling uncomfortable, You know, I read that guilt is the wound and shame is the scar. With time, we've learned what to do with guilt, how to respond to conviction. We acknowledge where we failed and ask for forgiveness, admit we made a mistake and or take some sort of step in a direction of pursuing healing, either through personal growth or conversations. Shame, on the other hand, is rooted in secrecy and fear of exposure. Shame only creates isolation. Are you carrying a secret shame no one knows about that in truth has absolutely nothing to do with who you are? Shame is only a motivator in the fear it creates. Instead of separating a behavior from the person, it makes the whole person bad. It sends the message that you aren't worth helping. You can't be helped. You are a lost cause and we need to be rid of you. And so we keep our secrets. Because what if everything I think about myself is true? This feeling of shame comes naturally because it's been such a natural part of our human nature since the Garden of Eden. From the moment the piece of fruit was bitten into, woman and man felt shame. In Genesis 3, after eating from the one tree they were asked not to, the Bible says Adam and Eve's eyes were opened and they hid themselves. Walking into the garden, God called out, where are you? And I wonder how many of you God is asking the same question. You've let shame define your personal narrative, the story you tell yourself. You've allowed words spoken to you, about you, in you, to become truths that are contradictory to the truth. God has dealt with my guilt, your guilt, with the highest price anyone could pay, the life of his son. And yet this shame refuses to allow us to accept that payment. Let me ask you this. Would you talk to your best friend, husband, teacher, lady checking out your groceries at Publix the way you talk to yourself? If you wouldn't talk to anyone else like that, if you wouldn't allow anyone to talk like that to your people that you love, why do we talk to ourselves with such criticism and ridicule and contempt? Shame will tell us we are our sin. 
Jesus tells us our sin is erased. We see Jesus pursue those shunned and shamed all through scripture. One book I read told the story of John 9, when a blind man, disowned by his parents and cast out by religious leaders, meets Jesus. This man had been born blind. Jesus approached him, understood his disability, bent down into the dirt to create some mud that he applied to the blind man's eyes. But the problem in the Pharisees' eyes is that Jesus did all of this on the Sabbath, the day of rest. The Pharisees went to interrogate the blind man's parents, who avoided the line of questioning altogether for fear of being pushed out of the community like their son. John 9.22 says, The parents knew the Jews had agreed that if anyone confessed Jesus to be Christ, they were out, which was the biggest public shaming at the time. But their son, the man who Jesus had put the mud on his eyes, the man who could see the blue of the sky, the dust of the dirt on his feet, he had the eyes that could now see He stood up to the Pharisees, declaring Jesus' power. And in all their glory, the Pharisees, they kicked him out of the synagogue. They did exactly what most Jews of that time feared would happen. And in our current reality, basically, the Pharisees canceled this guy. But Jesus pursued this young man, not unlike he pursues us. And he revealed himself as Messiah. And I love how this article said it. It said, Jesus not only gave the young man the honor of physical sight, but also the higher honor of spiritual sight. So what does that mean for you? It means again, and I can't say it enough, you are not your sin. You are not your mistake. You are not the line you crossed. You are not the decision you made or didn't make. When you feel the guilt and the conviction and you take those next steps of growth, You ask for forgiveness. You try to move forward. Shame tells you to stay right where you are. Jesus was unwilling to allow anyone to sit in their shame. Thomas doubted him. Peter denied him three times. The list could go on, and yet God still asked, where are you? Guilt can lead to forgiveness. Shame only leads to distance. So where are you? He's asking because he wants you near. He wants you close. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. If you're brokenhearted, your spirit crushed by what you carry, next week is your next step. Spend time evaluating the weight you're dragging around, the ways it creates obstacles and barriers. And let's talk about it next week with my friend Connie, an incredible counselor whose straightforward approach doesn't really leave room for doubt. And you know, actually, before we end, I wasn't planning on doing this, but I feel the, the urge and the need to pray right now over you who is listening. Jesus, thank you for even the opportunity to do this. Thank you for putting this on my heart. Jesus, I pray for the person on the other side, whoever they are, wherever they are, whatever they're doing, that in this moment, you fill them with your presence, an undeniable moment of you being right there with them. And the shame that they have carried, the burden, the weight that gets heavier every time they think about it, And every time they try to push it down deeper because they don't 
want to let it come to light. Jesus, I pray that right now that gets a little lighter. That with the sense of your presence, it no longer feels like a burden they have to hide, but really it is something that they can give up. It is something that they can release to you because you are asking the one question, where are you? So Jesus, I pray you continue drawing closer and closer and that this week, as they think through the, the plight that shame has put on their life, as they think through what it means to stop believing the stories they're telling themselves, but instead believe the story that you came for them, that you died on a cross willingly so that they wouldn't have to live like this. Jesus, I pray the same for me. And that we stop being shaped by what we wish we hadn't done, what we wish we did do. We stop letting that shape who we are now and who you want us to be moving forward. And instead, we allow your words to shape us, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that you have a plan for us, a purpose for us, that you know exactly who you want us to be, and you are going to lead us toward that. Jesus, I pray those truths over all of us today and through the coming week. And I pray that next week, the conversation is full of more next steps, more ways to continue moving forward in grace instead of shame. Amen.